Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. So, God bless you. <laughs> if you're in the office at Cross Lane once in a while, somebody will sneeze, and you'll hear it down the hall. God bless you. What does that even mean? How do you define a blessing? Would you even really know a blessing if it walked up and smacked you on the face? I mean, do you, know, do you recognize blessings when they happen? There are places in the Bible where, where problems are described as blessings. So when you say, God bless you, are you saying, I hope something really horrible happens to you? I mean, you could be. What in the world is a blessing? And if you pray to God for him to bless somebody, how do you know that it happened? The word blessed in the Bible, the Greek word that we get is the word makarios, makarios, and, and makarios is the word for happy, so to be blessed is to be happy, it's to have a blessing, it's, it's to have happiness in your life. When Jesus talked about, you know, bl- blessing, what, when he says, you know, if you do this, you'll be blessed, really what he's saying is the exact same word, if you do this, you'll be happy. We begin a fairly lengthy series today. It's called Up and to the Right. Now, I'll explain this title to you. Um, when I say up and to the right, we went to, we go to Leadership Summit every year, and Bill Hybels used to kick that off every year, and he was fond of using this expression, up and to the right, and it was an expression that, that defines success. If you're looking at a business and, you know, you're looking at the numbers and it's go, you want it to go up and to the right, you don't want it to be going down, usually you want it to go up and to the right, that's success, that's that's our way at Cross Lane. You'll hear it at Cross Lane. You'll hear it in the office. We, in the staff meetings, you'll hear us say, well, that's going up and to the right. That's, that's good. That's a good thing. We're seeing success with that particular thing. So that's where the, the title comes from. This series, believe it or not, this series is going to take us, <laughs> I hate to depress you. You might get excited by this. I don't know. But this is going to take us all the way to Christmas, this series. So I'm beating all the Christmas ads even. How about that? Um, it'll be interrupted a couple of times. We've got, um, you're going to hear an announcement later today about, um, what. Well, no, you won't hear that announcement today. There's something that's going to interrupt this right around the turn of the month. We've got a special series of things that are going to happen, and, and we have to take a break from this series. And then I go on vacation for about three weeks, and so I won't preach, and, and uh, we'll do some other things, and we'll, I'll come back and finish up this series, and we'll lead into Christmas. But Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, and he's talking about God, and he's talking about ways to be blessed, and he he says, blessed are you. What he could have said is, happy are you. Listen, as your pastor, I love you. I I want what's best for you. I want you to succeed. I want your friendships, relationships. I want your life. I want school to go good for you. And if you're married, I want the best for your marriage. I want the best for your finances and your health and, and, and your talent, your future. So I think it's really important for us to see how to receive the, the blessings of God. And we, see, we study scripture, we discover that the problem really isn't with God, duh. The problem is with us. We, we're the problem. God wants to bless your life. You just have to get blessable. And often we live in such a way that we don't make ourselves blessable before God. God is not going to bless sin. He does not bless arrogance. God will not bless indifference. God does not bless pride. A lot of things God does not bless. So when Jesus starts his most famous sermon, 
He begins with, I'm going to teach you the conditions for receiving God's blessing in your life. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at those different ways to receive God's blessing in our life. We're going to start today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And this is where the Sermon on the Mount begins. This very famous, in fact, my, my youth pastor growing up, I remember him telling us, he said, if you would live by the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount, you've got it. And then he would smile and he'd say, but that's really hard. You just live by those two. If you just, you know, you say, Brett, the Bible's too big. I can't follow all that. Okay, then just focus in. Don't even worry about the Ten Commandments. Just focus in on what he says in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and just follow that. And you would be amazed how hard it is to do that, but you'd also be amazed at the blessings that flow when you do it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. The, the rabbi always sat when he taught and everybody else stood. So we've got that backward in here this morning. You guys should be standing. I should be sitting on a stool or something. Yeah. His disciples came to him and he began to, to teach them. Now in the time of Christ, you know, they, they, would, they, were, they were pressing around him and, and he just feels this need to kind of get away onto this mountainside and he's got all these people around and he's going to talk to them about the conditions for receiving blessing from God. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, that doesn't tell me a whole lot, because I don't understand some of what that is. First, what does poor in spirit mean? Not sure I know what that is. And then what's the kingdom of heaven? So in order to understand the benefit to our life, we need to kind of unpack some of these things and think about them. Let's talk about the kingdom of heaven. What is that exactly? And is it different from the kingdom of God? And what I'd say here is just kind of hold on to those questions because as we go through the series, I think some of that will present itself and we'll, we'll kind of parse that out. But this week, as we start this series, I just want us to look at the first six words in the Sermon on the Mount, this most famous sermon of Jesus, and it starts with this word, blessed. When Jesus starts teaching, he starts with a blessing. He doesn't give curses. He gives blessings. Let me tell you how to be happy. And this is the first thing that he talks about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first word out of his mouth is blessing. Poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, he's not talking about physical poverty. He's not he you know, doesn't say, blessed are the poor. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not talking about an economic poverty or a material poverty or a physical poverty. That's kind of where our mind goes. You know, I don't have enough. I'm poverty. If I'm in poverty, I'm poor. That's kind of what we think. He's talking about spiritual poverty. He's talking about maintaining a certain kind of attitude. I want us to look at several translations of this verse. If you've got a pen... Get ready, I'm going to give you a, a, a resource that you can write down. BibleGateway.com BibleGateway.com That is the, the website that I use when I'm online reading the Bible. If I'm, when I you know, copy and paste sermon stuff into my, uh, Bible stuff into my notes, that's where I go to get it. And so what's cool about that site is whenever you come across a passage of Scripture and you don't, you're not really sure what it's saying or you're trying to get your head wrapped around it, it's helpful if you can get different translations of the Bible. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's all different kinds of translations of the Bible. Some of them are really technical and they're, 
They're right alongside the Greek. Like I would tell you that the New American Standard version of the Bible is the version that we used in college to check our Greek homework, okay? So if you want, if you want accuracy, the New American Standard is very accurate, but it's not always very readable. The NIV is fairly readable, and it's also pretty accurate. There are some other versions that, that are very, very readable, and they're not quite as accurate, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. you just got to be careful once in a while. But what Bible Gateway does is it'll allow you to bring up like two or three versions and compare them side by side. So I offer that to you as a, an example. But I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to show you several different versions of what we just read. In the, the New Living Translation, it's worded like this. God blesses those who realize their need for him. In the God's Word Translation, God blesses those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. Contemporary English version, God, God, rec, God blesses those who depend only on him. And then the New Century Version says, God blesses those who know they have a great spiritual need. You, you can see the, the pattern that is developing there. He's saying, listen, I rec the, the, the person like you or me would be saying, I recognize that I'm inadequate in and of myself. I, I can't live my life without God. I, need God. I need God's input. I need God's blessing. I'm spiritually poor without God in my life. Without God's help, I'm inadequate. Psalm 146, verse 5, is a great place to start. The Lord God blesses everyone who trusts him and depends on him. I would circle the words trust and depends in that verse. This is the first ver uh, condition of God's blessing on your life. You've got to trust him. You've got to depend on him. And that is what it means to be poor in spirit. Here's the definition, a working definition for us this morning. Poor in spirit, I humbly depend on God instead of myself. I humbly depend on God instead of myself. I know I'm inadequate to handle all the problems that face me from day to day. I, I don't want to try to take all that on by myself. I want God's blessing on my relationship. If it's, you know, if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, if you're married, I want God's blessing on my marriage on my spouse, on my work, if you're a student, you know, at school, if you're a business owner, I want God's blessing on my business, my finances, my health. I humbly submit and depend on God instead of myself. So when the question comes, okay, Brett, how do you do that? How do you do that? Today I want to give you five ways to depend on God, and you're going to be able to practice these this week. If you look for, if you look for the chance, you'll be able to practice all five of these this week and you will become a person who is poor in spirit and you will make yourself more blessable in the process which means that you 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 know you depend on God and God comes through and he's you're not depending on you you're depending on God five ways to express my dependence on God number one I depend on God's wisdom not mine God's wisdom not mine I listen to what God says I follow what he says to do Proverbs 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Sometimes there's a way that seems right to us, and in the end, it's just a dead end. Have you ever had that feeling that what you were doing was very, very right, and you just knew it was the right thing to do, and the next thing you do, you look up, and it's all gone south, and you feel like the dumbest person in the world. It's like, I, I, I had that thing completely sussed out and figured out, and, and now I just feel dumb because it just went wrong. It, it failed miserably. That's kind of what he's talking about. Every one of us could get up here and tell a story about, you know, I did this. I thought it was perfect. I thought it was all going to work out great. And man, 
it just it just couldn't have been worse you know I thought this is the perfect relationship this is the perfect friendship this is the perfect response to what that person said to me this is the the perfect person that I should marry this is the perfect job and then it wasn't perfect and I thought it was and then man it couldn't have been less perfect ever invested in something that was can't miss only to find out whiff right like yes you missed no doubt your life is full of painful examples of things where you wish that you'd listen to god's voice a little more clearly you wish that you'd just taken a little bit more time instead you trusted your gut let me just tell you follow god not your gut god is filled with truth your gut is filled with pizza okay don't don't use that as a decision-making tool Just because you think it doesn't make it right, just because you feel it doesn't make it right, feelings lie to us all the time. How many songs can you think of, usually in the country music genre, where you get something along the lines of, it felt so right, but it was so wrong, right? There are a lot of things that feel right in the moment that turn out to be wrong. Ever look back on a relationship and ask yourself, what in the world was I thinking? There's a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. Depend on God's wisdom, not mine. You want fewer dead ends in your life, fewer catastrophes relationally, fewer catastrophes financially, emotionally. Proverbs chapter 3. This might be probably somebody in here, this is your favorite verse, because this is pretty famous. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom instead fear the lord and turn away from evil in other words i got this all figured out i don't need any help i can handle this i'm a big girl i'm a grown man i can make my own decisions i can do this i don't need help he says don't be impressed with yourself turn your back on evil turn your back turn your face to the lord i depend on god's wisdom not mine you say brett how do i get god's wisdom how do i do that two things You pray and you read. You talk to God and you want God to talk to you, you got to read his word. People come up to me and say, Brett, I I just want to hear God's voice. I'm not hearing God's voice. Well, when they say that to me, what they're really telling me is, I'm not reading my Bible. Because here's what I know. I know that when you read scripture, you're going to hear God's voice. He talks to us that way. That's what he gives us. James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives it grudgingly and sparingly to all. Is that what it says? No. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives, what's the word? Generously. Generously. God wants to speak to you. He, he wants to tell you some things. You've got to ask for it. God does not want you to be stupid. God does not want you to make dumb mistakes. doesn't glorify him. Your dead ends are not glorifying to God. You know, those, that's, sometimes you just go through life and it just feels like failure after failure. That, God doesn't want that for you. God wants you to be wise. He wants you to succeed in life. He wants you to make smart decisions with your time, your money, your resources, your family. He says, I'm here. I'll give you wisdom. I'll give it graciously. I'll give it generously. You have to ask. You have to seek it. Now, how do you know when you're living 
really living in God's wisdom and not your own. You know, you're talking to God throughout your entire day, you're, you're reading his word, and if you're not doing those two things and you're not really depending on God's wisdom, you're, you're kind of in your own wisdom. You think you've got it figured out. You think you know what to do. And often that's why we have problems. That's why things fall through. That's why we have so much pain in our lives sometimes because you're not depending on God's wisdom. You're not reading the book. You're not talking to the author. God's wisdom and God's will are in God's word. God's wisdom and God's will are in God's word. If you're not in the word, you do not have God's will. And if you don't have God's wisdom, <laughs> you can't be blessed. So that's the starting point. I've got to talk to the Lord, and I've got to get him to talk to me. Here's the second thing. If I really want God's blessing on my life, I not only depend on God's wisdom, I also depend on God's strength, not mine. God's strength. At the end of the day, are you tired? Just kind of drag yourself to bed, and you're like, gee, I'm worn out. You know why you're that way? Because you're a human being. Because we run out of juice. We run out of steam. We get tired. We don't have an, an unending supply of energy. Several weeks ago in a sermon, I talked about the second law of thermodynamics, the idea that everything's running down. If you, don't, if you aren't putting energy into something to keep it going and spinning, it's going to spin down. If you don't feed yourself, if you don't get some rest, you're going to run down. It's just the way, it's the, way the world works. It's not just the way we're wired. It's the way everything is wired. It's a law. Your strength is limited. God's is not. God is infinite. You are finite. You get exhausted. God is inexhaustible. Psalm 84, verse 5. You bless all who depend on you for their strength. You want God's blessing in your life? You need to depend on God's strength. You say, Brett, what do I do when my strength is just evaporated? When I, you know, I'm, I'm so, I have no energy. I have no steam. I've got too much to do and not enough energy to do it all. Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 31, this will be very familiar to some of you. Those who trust in the Lord for help will find their strength renewed. They will rise on wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary. They will walk and not grow weak. I cannot tell you how many times in my life I have kind of leaned into the truth of this passage. God, I need you. I, can, I cannot do this on my own. I'm tired I'm exasperated, I'm discouraged. I, Father, I, 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 I need you to show up. I, I don't have it within me to be able to do this, and the only way I can do this is if you show up and help me. There are times when I did not think I could take another step. And you just, you know, I've told you stories before. There was a time I just fell in a heap one time. God, I need you. I am... I am poor in spirit. I'm completely gone here. I've seen people go through things like divorce and breakups, loss of a loved one, and they never recover. You know why? Their trust is not in the Lord. I want to give you a little passage here. I want to help you memorize this. This is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight words. Psalm 71, verse 16, I walk in the strength of the Lord. Say that with me. I walk in the strength of the Lord. One more time. 
I walk in the strength of the Lord. You just memorized a passage of Scripture. Congratulations. Psalm 71, I walk in the strength of the Lord. You need to memorize that. You need to write that on a card, put that on a wall, or on someplace where you see it every day, and just tell yourself, walk in the strength of the Lord. I don't just depend on God's wisdom and do the right thing. I do the right thing with the right power. I don't do it under my power. I'm doing the right thing under God's power. My Bible college, it's a university now, and they changed the name for a lot of different reasons. But when I was there, it was Johnson Bible College. Now it's Johnson University. We have students there from, from the church who are going there now. But the seal, when I was there, I don't know if they've changed that or not, but the seal of the college had three words on it, faith, prayer, and work. And we were taught that at the school, that those three things are important, faith, prayer, and work. You've heard the expression, work as if it all depends on you, and pray as if it all depends on God, and that's what they told us. You work as if it all depends on you, and then you pray like it all depends on God, because that's really the truth. And a lot of times we just think, well, I'll just work hard and make this happen. No, bring God in on it. You do everything you can do, and then you look at God and you say, God, I need you. Listen, I work hard as a pastor, but in, in my own flesh and in my own abilities, I'm not very good. And I cannot even tell you how many times I just say to God, God, you've got to show up. I cannot do this without you. I am not good enough. I'm, I'm not talented enough. I don't know enough. God, I, I'm frail. I, I'm not smart enough. I need you to show up. I, I've got to have you or else I can't do this. The next verse is good for those of us who are aging. You know, your body's not working quite like it should. Mine's not quite as sharp as it was. We, we always, Shelby and I shoot this, this sermon for the web this morning was shot on Wednesday morning. And on Wednesday, I had something weird going on with my ankle. I don't know, I can't explain this to anybody. I, was, I couldn't walk straight. I, I was limping badly. And I hadn't hurt my ankle. I don't know what happened, but about, I don't know, it just happens, it'll come out of nowhere. I can be walking fine one day, and then for an hour, I can't walk, and then I can walk fine. And I had a day, I, Wednesday was a full day, I literally walked home dragging my right foot, like, golly, this hurts so bad. And, you know, people were like, what's wrong with you? I don't know. Did you hurt it? No. You know, and they're thinking, he's, he's, there's something and it's embarrassing, honestly. It's just old age, you know? That's just what happens to us. We get older and our body starts to run down. Here's a verse for us. My health may fail, amen? And my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. What a great verse. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary to China in the 19th century. Spiritual giant. People in ministry look up to this guy. He is a world changer. Brilliant, brilliant man. Mr. Taylor lived to be an old man, and in his later years he lost his health and he became very, very weak. He wrote this letter to a friend, I am so weak I can no longer work. I'm so weak I can no longer study. I'm so weak I can no longer read my Bible. I cannot even pray. I can only lie still in the arms of God like a little child and trust. There will be times in your life when you're so weak you can't even pray. You don't know what to say. You don't have the words for anybody. You just, 
You can't work. You can't read your Bible. You feel like you can't pray. You can't do anything. What do you do in those moments? I live in the strength of the Lord, and I trust. Weakness can be a good thing in your life if it causes you to depend on God. So to be blessed by God, I depend on God's wisdom. I depend on God's strength. Number three, I depend on God's timing, not mine. I depend on God's timing. You see this all the time in sports. Um, Baseball is a game of timing. Ultimately, that's what baseball is. Baseball, in a nutshell, is a pitcher trying to disrupt the timing of a hitter. And if the hitter can get the timing right, good things happen. And so that's really baseball, really explained. If you're ever watching a game, you're like, what's going on here? That pitcher is trying to disrupt the timing of that hitter. Golf, same thing. The, the, the golf swing is an intricate thing, and it's all about trying to get mechanics, yes, but there's got to be some timing to that. You know, there's a flick of the wrist right at the right time. There's, there's the, the knee bend at the right time. It's timing. You, you get that in football. Peyton Manning and... and um, Marvin Harrison, is that his name, Marvin Harrison? They had the timing down. You would see him go out for a pass and curl, and and Peyton had already let go of the ball. They had practiced it so much, they had their timing down to the point that by the time Harrison made the turn and he looked around, the ball was on him. That's how good their timing was. Timing's really important. The right timing is God working the right way in your life. Scripture's clear. There are seasons to life. And one of the seasons that we go through is a season that we don't like, and we don't, to be really honest, we don't handle it very well. It's the season of waiting. The season of waiting. We're not very good. God works in our life in seasons of waiting. Write this down. While you are waiting, God is working. Don't think that you're waiting and God's not working. God's working. He's just taking you through a season of waiting, maybe for you, maybe for somebody else. Psalm 31, verse 14. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. A lot of our time is spent waiting, and if you don't figure out how to trust God when you're waiting, you'll spend a lot of time not trusting God. You ever been in a hurry and God wasn't? Don't you hate that? I hate to break it to you. God is never in a hurry. He is eternal. Moses comes to God, and actually God comes to Moses and says, hey, I want you to go to Egypt and and tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, great, who do I tell him sent me? You remember what God said? I am. I am. He doesn't say I was, and he doesn't say I will be. I am. What is I am? I am is now. And you think about now, now does not exist in time. Now is an eternal thing. You are eternal, and you're having a, sub, you're having a conscious experience right now. That's, you're, you know, you're alive now. That's what it means to be alive. You're in the now. But if I say, what are you thinking of now? You can't even tell me because now's already passed. So, so God doesn't think, he doesn't look at time the way we look at time. He doesn't experience time the same way. God doesn't get in a hurry. He's watching, he's working, and he wants to see if you're going to trust him while you wait. The problem with waiting is that everything in our culture tells us that we don't want to do that. We hate to wait. You just do an experiment. Start paying attention to all the ways the word fast is marketed to you. Fast. We're going to fast track it. You go to Disney, they give you a fast pass because we're too good to wait. 
like everybody else. We're going to get a fast pass. One of the most popular business magazines going right now is a magazine called Fast Company. Everything fast. Fast food, microwave it. Fast cell service, fast internet. We want everything fast. But sometimes that can go against God's blessing. We get in such a hurry sometimes, God's blessing often comes through these times of waiting. Ecclesiastes 3, God has set the right time for everything. Some of you right now are waiting for the right man or woman to come along. Some of you are are waiting for the right position to open up. Some of you are waiting for babies to get here. Some of you are waiting to get pregnant. Like you're just trying so hard and keep trying, keep going. But you're waiting. And if you were honest, you would say, you know what, I'm so frustrated right now. This isn't working. I'm tired of this. There's a promise in the Bible that tells you not only that God is working, tells you how he's working. Isaiah 60, I am the Lord, and when when the time comes, I will quickly do all this. Scripture says that the world waited thousands of years for Jesus to show up. And then he came and he lived among us and then he said, I'm going to leave, but I'm coming back. And the disciples thought that that was like immediate. They're thinking next week or, you know, a couple of weeks, maybe a month. They never dreamed that it would be as long as it was. And, you know, we, we, it's now we're, we've waited 2,000 years. And there are some people who like to make fun of us and say, you know, how long, you know, keep waiting. Let me know how that works out for you. Hey, I'll wait as long as it takes for Jesus to come back. But we've been waiting 2,000 years, and I don't know about you, but I'm ready, right? I'm ready. When will he come? He'll come in his perfect timing. God does not get in a hurry. We can, we can pitch a fit. We can act like a child. We can say, tired of waiting. God's like, I'll do this when I'm good and ready, and you're going to learn to wait on me. A delay is not a denial. We think God's saying no. What God's really saying is, not yet. Keep trusting. Will you trust me? This has as much to do with how we talk to God about it and how we pray. Sometimes when we pray, we say things like, okay, God, I'm going to give you right a first refusal on this. I'm going to give you some time, and you better start moving, because if you don't start moving, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'll do it myself. Now, let me just ask you, If you were God, and you made the sun, moon, and stars, and 600 different types of beetles, and everything else you see, and you've got complete control of all that, and one of the things you made starts talking to you like that, and puts a clock on you, and threatens to take matters into their own hands, how do you respond if you're God? I think God says, and has to me on occasion, said, you know what, big boy? (laughs) You go have at it have at it let me know how that works out for you because i'm just going to stand back and let you i'm going to let you go go eat big dog let's see how it works and inevitably i come back and i'm like god i'm sorry i didn't listen god says are you trusting me micah 7 but i trust the lord god to save me and i will wait for him to answer my prayer god always gives his best to those who wait And if you get in a hurry, you're going to settle for second best in your life. And God will bring the best man into your life. He'll bring the best woman. He'll bring the best opportunity. And the devil is going to give you all kinds of sidetracks and all kinds of distractions and all kinds of 
really bad substitutes. He's going to give you all kinds of opportunities to not wait for God's best. Hey, try this. Look at this. Caution. If you do that, you run the great risk of missing God's very best for your life. You will settle for less than God's best. Don't do it. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. This is wisdom talking to you. If you want God's blessing, you have to learn this. Spiritual poverty means I don't do it myself. I depend on God's wisdom. I depend on God's strength, God's timing. And he will answer me when he is ready to answer me. And and he will answer me when he knows I'm ready and I'm ready to trust him. Number four, I depend on God's defense, not mine. I depend on God's defense. There will always be people around you who do not like you. There'll be people who who are going to say mean, nasty things about you. They're going to be hateful to you. I was in a social setting not too long ago, and I was around a person that it was clear they did not like me. And they weren't trying to hide it. And I was like, you know, I mean, what did I do? But they didn't. It was clear. And you're not going to change that necessarily. There will always be people that are there to criticize you, to, to judge you, attack you, gossip, rumor about you. And we're tempted to say, you know what, if I could just be perfect, that wouldn't happen. Oh, no, no, Jesus was perfect. They crucified him, okay? So if you think you're going to get by, you're not going to get by. There's always going to be somebody that, that's not crazy about you. They will criticize you. They will attack you. Sometimes even people in your close social circle, friends of yours, will not understand everything you're doing or what you're about or what you're saying, and they'll attack. They'll criticize. They may say something hurtful. It just happens. It's what happens when people get together and and live in close proximity to one another. When people criticize you, you want to criticize them back. When they get hateful, you know, it's like, come on, let's go, right? That's our first posture. you're You're coming at me, bro. You know, like, we just get this attitude about us. And, and we want to, you know, we, we want to defend us. If you're out driving and someone salutes you with the sign of international displeasure and you want to express to them that you think they're number one, don't do it. Don't do it. <clears throat> Let God be your defender. Don't defend yourself. Who do you think can defend you better, you or God? When you're attacked, you have a choice. My good friend Michael, bless his heart, he sent me a text yesterday. Um, He had just learned something, really not great news, and it was hurtful. It was something that if I told you what it was, you'd go, well, I understand, that would be hurtful. And, And it's one of those things that makes you want to react, like verbally and publicly and loudly. And he sent it to me, and he told me what was going on, and he said, man, I, he said, I don't, even, I don't even know what my next step is. I said, well, first of all, pray, sit with it a while, listen to God, put some time between learning this information and any reaction that you have. And then I, I gave him this piece of advice, and I've tried to follow this. This is hard advice. I've given this to you before, but this is, this is wisdom talking right now. When something like that happens to you and you're tempted, we get tempted to talk, right? We want to say things. 
You have two options. You can indulge your tongue for 20 seconds, and you can get rid of all that vitriol and all that stuff and get it out and vomit all over somebody and bleh, and then regret it for the next 20 years. Or you can clamp down on that tongue for 20 seconds. Oftentimes it's that first 20 seconds. You can tighten down on that tongue and not say those things that are coming to your brain. You and your spouse get into a fight and she says something or he says something and you're like, you know what? No, clamp down on your tongue. Hold it for 20 seconds and you may, for the next 20 years, be thankful that you did not indulge yourself and say what you said. Because I, I just know about me. I've said some things in the heat of the moment that I've lived to regret. You're most like Jesus when you say nothing in the face of an attack. 1 Peter 2, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You are most like Jesus when in the face of attack you do not defend. You say, Brett, that's hard. Yes, it's hard. Why do you think I keep saying the hardest thing I've ever tried to do in my life is follow Jesus? It's the hardest thing I've ever tried to do because I'm trying to subjugate my will and bring it under control of his will. That is hard, because I am hardwired to do it my way, right? You are too. It's hard to follow Jesus, but that's what we're called to. When people don't like you, they have something called motivated reasoning. Do you know what that is? That means they look for reasons to not like you. And even if someone comes along and says, hey, they're not that bad, they, actually, you're misunderstanding that. Then they hate you even more because now you're making them look bad. Right? Like, you can't win with some people. They're just going to criticize they're going to be quick to believe the negative. They'll never believe anything positive about you. It's motivated reasoning. Today, because of the internet, if you respond and you say something online, here, here's what I can tell you. It's global, it's searchable, and it's permanent. You put something on Facebook, it goes around the world, and it's on there forever. Somebody can screenshot it and have it on their phone or whatever. That's the world we live in, so you have to learn to let God be your defense. To be a leader is to be misunderstood. You want to be a leader in your community, in school, at work? If you want to be the leader in your business, be prepared to be misunderstood. Do your very best at whatever you do, and when you're criticized, leave it to God. Don't feel like you've got to answer every criticism. Let him defend you. Pioneers always get the arrows in the back. To call the shots, you've got to take some shots. I've learned this the hard way. I, I have worried about what everybody else thought about me. When I got into ministry, my skin was paper thin. I did not, I didn't like to be yelled at. I didn't like to be criticized. I had a good friend of mine one time say, Brett's like my dog. He, he wants everybody to like him and doesn't understand when they don't. But that's not just me. I think that's all of us, right? We, we want to be liked. And over the years, my skin's gotten a little thicker and I finally figured something out. I figured out, you know what, I can't worry about what everybody else thinks. If God's okay with me and I'm okay with me, that's enough. And here's the thing. We both know, me and God, I know when I'm clicking with God and when I'm not. And God lets me know, hey, you're out of line. Life just goes better when I let God defend me. Listen to him. Psalm 2, verse 12, God blesses and protects everyone who runs to him, not the one who defends himself, not everybody who fights back. God blesses and protects everyone who runs to him. I'm going to give you, a, we're about to close. 
The next verse gives us five metaphors, just words, God's protection. This comes out of Psalm 62. I depend on God alone. I put my hope in him. He alone protects, I would underline that, and saves me, underline that. He is my defender, underline, and I shall never be defeated. My salvation and honor depend on God. He is my strong protector, underline that. He is my shelter, underline that. He is my protector, my savior, my defender, my victor, my shelter. When you get here, when you are being poor in spirit and you're saying, God, I'm not dependent on myself. I, am, I completely depend on you, on your wisdom, on your strength, on your timing, your defense. God sees that and he says, that's somebody I can bless. That's somebody I can support. I can get behind that. You're most like Jesus when you do not defend yourself. One of the greatest sources of anxiety in our life is money. Studies show that it's one of the primary causes of divorce. It's one of the primary causes of the loss of sleep is, the, is money, us worrying about money. It keeps us awake at night. It causes us to do all kinds of stupid things. Here's one more way to depend on God, and then we'll wrap it up. I depend on God's wealth, not mine. If you put your security in a bank account, you're an insecure person because that can be taken away from you. Everything you've got in a bank can be taken away from you. Same with your job, same with your investments. You have to put your security in something that cannot be taken away from you. Here's something the Bible says about God's wealth. Philippians 4, And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches, to the, to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I depend on how much God has, not on how much I have. Now I'm going to say something, and if you understand this, you set yourself up to be blessable. You'll have a lot less stress in your life if you can get this. My job is a channel, but God is the source of my supply. My job is a channel, but God is the source of my supply. Let me explain what that is. If I were to go home today after church, and I go into my kitchen, and I turn on the faucet, and no water comes out, I don't step back and assume, oh, the world has run out of water right? That's not what we think. If you've ever gone and turned on the water, you're like, well, something's wrong. But the last thought you have is, oh no, the world has run out of water. No, we know better than that. You know that you're going to have to call a plumber. Something's clogged. Something's not working right. It can be fixed, but the world hasn't run out of water. If you think your job is what makes you financially secure, you will be financially insecure your entire life. Being poor in spirit means I realize that God is the source of my supply and I depend on God's wealth and I'm going to trust in Him. Jobs are going to come and go. Positions, economies, bank accounts, doesn't matter. My source of supply is in God. And the more you get on board with that, the more blessable you become and the more you're going to understand the blessings of God. I, I don't depend on my wisdom, my my wealth, my timing, my defense, I, I don't, that, none of that's for me, that's God's. So here's the question, how are you doing? Have you made a declaration of dependence? We have the declaration of independence. But have you made a declaration of dependence? And what I mean by that is, have you been baptized? Have you publicly 
said, God, I completely depend on you. I want to read to you, it's a hybrid verse, and we're, we're about done. This comes out of Romans 6. I love, this is kind of a cross between the message and the NLT version, um, but I love the way this reads. This is what happens in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old sin behind, and when we came up out of the water, we entered into a new life of grace. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus, and when we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. We are raised to live a new life. There's, I tell people, you never physically look more like Jesus than the day you're baptized. You stand there, you're dying to yourself. What do you do with a dead person? You bury it. And just like Jesus, when they buried him, he rose to walk in the newness of life. That's what happens to us. Some of you need to make a public declaration of dependence. Some of you have never been immersed into Christ, and you need to take that next step. It doesn't save you, but it is a step of obedience where you, you publicly say to the world, I'm trusting God for everything that I've got. You say, Brett, I was baptized as a baby. Well, your parents, that was, your, that was their decision. That wasn't your decision. You, some of you don't even remember it. And I'm not putting it down, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. That's a part of your faith heritage. But when, when Jesus was baptized, <clears throat> he'd already been dedicated at the temple when he was a little boy. His mom and dad did that when he was at the temple as a little child. That was their decision. That wasn't his decision. At age 30, he seeks out John the Baptist, and he says, immerse me, baptize me. And so about 30 years old, he's baptized because that was his decision. Jesus was publicly baptized. Have you done that? Jesus commanded it. Baptism says, I'm all in. I'm all in on wisdom, health, strength. I'm all in on all those things. It's a public declaration of dependence. How about it? Are you all in? God, I depend on you. What are you waiting for? If it's pride, if your pride's saying, no, I'm not doing that. Pride is the furthest thing from being poor in the spirit. I leave you with this verse. Happy are those who do what the Lord requires. Happy are those who do what the Lord requires. Let me pray for you. Let me just say this before I pray. If you've not been baptized, that's a conversation that you should have with somebody. I'm available to have that conversation with you if, you, if that intimidates you or you don't want to talk to me. Get to somebody that's a Christian that can talk to you about that because that's something you need to do. Christ commanded it. It's a step of obedience. It's, it's, it, trust me, when you get baptized, it's a, it's a profound thing in your life. I think it would help you if you haven't done it. Let me pray for you. Father, we've talked about being poor in spirit today. I pray, Father, that in the next week we could practice some of these things we've learned. We'll have plenty of opportunity. That we get really tempted to do your job for you. I pray that we wouldn't do that. I pray, Lord, that we would be found being humble, meek, poor in spirit, depending completely on you, recognizing that we are nothing without you. So, Father, in the week to come, may we be the ones who faithfully live out what it looks like to be poor in spirit, completely depending on God to provide for us and bless us. I love you, Father. We love you. We're so thankful for Jesus who saves us, sets us apart, empowers us. We pray all of these things this morning in his precious name. Amen.